welcome to the Dairy Dialogue podcast, and this is number 152, and it's the last one in September. I'm Jim Cornell, editor of Dairy Reporter, and it's been another slow news week, and also a very wet week here. It was also a week with a visit to the dentist, lots of phone calls about a variety of things, and I've realised I much prefer emails to being on hold listening to four bars of the same music repeated for 20 minutes. It's also been a week when someone at my son's school got COVID, I started a little bit of Christmas shopping, and I also dug out the winter coat. It's that time of year when it's cold in the morning and then warms up, so there's clothes everywhere. I also started preparing for an upcoming webinar, which looks like being the first one that we've done with video as well as audio. When I was on the radio, there really wasn't a technology available to stream images as well, which is probably a good thing. The podcast this week is going out on September the 29th, which just happens to be the second International Day of Awareness of Food Loss and Waste, which is the basis for one of our interviews today, a slightly longer one given the importance of food waste. There are lots of startling statistics related to food waste, but I think one of the ones that hit me the most is the fact that food wasted in a year is way more than the amount of food needed for no one on the planet to go hungry. And yet, unfortunately, that's still all too common. And it's heartbreaking as well. I know people say that they can't change the world and that they feel helpless, but I guess we can all do our bit, no matter how small, by making changes and by encouraging others to do the same. I know that if you contact companies, some of them won't reply to you if you say something negative, but some will. And the more noise that we collectively make, the more change that we'll see. Not that I want to get all preachy. So this week we have that longer interview on food waste with Dr. Nina McGrath, Senior Manager for Food and Health Science at the European Food Information Council, or UFIC. And we also have an interview with N2 Applied CEO Carl Hansen. And there's also our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Charlie Highland at StoneX. So let's get to this week's news. We had a special edition on processing innovation. Fonterra published its annual financials and announced it is concentrating on New Zealand milk, which means potential questions for their Australian and Chilean operations. Eleven of the 20 biggest global dairy companies have signed on to the Pathways to Net Zero initiative and Danone has been myth-busting gut microbiome myths, and that's something we'll be featuring on the podcast soon. Sinlay has appointed a new CEO and proposed governance changes, Metal Toledo debuted a new range of metal detection systems, and politicians in the U.S. Northeast are urging the USDA to support the organic dairy farmers affected by the Horizon Organic pullout. Solvay has developed a process for recycling PVDC. A group including Friesland Campina has created a carbon sequestration calculation tool, and I finally finished editing the video I took when I went to Arla's plant in southern Scotland in Lockerbie. You can read all of these or watch in the case of the video and read plenty more at DairyReporter.com. And that leads us into this week's interviews. Norwegian AgTech Business N2 Applied has completed a further fundraising of $9.6 million from existing shareholders to accelerate the commercial rollout of its technology converting animal manure into sustainable fertilizer while trapping greenhouse gases. 
To tell us about the technology and the company is N2 Applied CEO, Carl Hansen. All right. So I guess the first question then is if you could tell me a little bit about the company N2 Applied. Yes, uh, the company was was started back in 2010 by our two founders, uh, Rune Ingels and Greta Sønsteby. Rune has a long experience from the fertilizer industry. He's been working in Yara for many years, and Greta has uh, been in the IT industry and in the startup. For the first seven years of the company, it was more or less Rune and Greta working alone, talking to a lot of researchers and a lot of agronomists, etc., to do kind of a proof of concept. So the idea that they had was that you could treat the uh, livestock manure uh, with nitrogen gas to stop the emission, the ammonia emissions from the slurry. And so it ends up in in the soil. You get more nitrogen to the crops and and by that an alternative to chemical fertilizer. That was how it started. Then in 2017, we started to capitalize the company and started to recruit. And today we are around 35 employees. We have our headquarter and test center here in Norway. We have small teams in the UK and, and in the Netherlands, in addition to our locations in Norway. Right now, we're in the phase where we do full-scale pilot installations in Scandinavia, UK and Netherlands. I'm preparing to launch uh, this technology in the market next year. And so what's the technology that you've developed? So the technology, it's a machine about the size of a tractor that you put on the farm. And the machine does two things. There is a plasma system that produces reactive nitrogen gas from air and electricity. Uh, And the second part of the system is an absorption system where this gas is absorbed into uh, liquid slurry or or manure. It's what we call NEO, so nitrogen-enriched organic fertilizer. And throughout the process, we have then increased the nitrogen content in the slurry. We have also stabilized it. And this means that we have stopped the uh, methane and ammonia emissions that you typically have from manure during storage and spreading. And because you stop that emission and these nutrients end up in the ground, you get increased yields. Uh, the odor is more or less eliminated and you reduce the farmer's needs for chemical fertilizer. All units are connected to the internet and to the N2 cloud, which enables us to monitor all the units. We can do preventive maintenance and so on. And there are a lot of technologies looking into greenhouse gases, methane or methane, depending on where you're from. <laughs> and uh, what, what are the benefits and the advantages of the technology that you have? The way we look at it, we're doing several things, right? So for the farmer, you can ensure sustained production and maximum crop yields without using chemical fertilizers, so external inputs. The farmer will then be self-sustained and, and more independent on external input factors. Over time, because you also put the carbon back into the soil, the soil health will be maintained or improved. The farmers will have a license to operate, we think, uh, when you see the future regulations coming related to methane and ammonia emissions. And of course, the reduced odor is it may be more important than we think for farmers that are operating in, in densely populated areas and so on. Then for society, of course, it's in a way the same. You are ensuring production without the use of chemical fertilizer, which is a fossil-based process and you reduce the environmental footprint of food production by reducing air pollution and reducing emission of greenhouse gases. And then, of course, reduced odor is a problem for society as well. Then finally, for, let's say, the dairy companies, we allow them to produce more planet-friendly produce to improve the footprint of their own operations and a real contributor to their own roadmaps that we see they are uh, developing now and launching and, and giving promises to their customers. So we believe that we have a very measurable, trackable, and quantifiable solution with a real impact into these roadmaps. 
And so with the technology, where does the methane go in the soil or into the fertilizer? If you start with the ammonia, which is already present in the slurry, the ammonia is kind of locked in by the enrichment process that we do. So when it comes to methane, the methane is not there when it's in the start, but methane is produced. So we have bacteria that produces methane over time during storage and spreading. What our process does is that it creates an environment which gives very bad conditions for these methane-producing bacteria. So you don't get that methane production. Uh, and again, then making sure that the nitrogen and the carbon ends up in the soil to improve crop yields and to improve soil health. And the test results from the product, what have they revealed? Well, so we have done around 50 agronomic field trials over the last three years on different crops, different soil types in different markets and so on. And then what we see from these trials is, as I said, that emissions of methane and ammonia are practically stopped. So we're talking about 95 to 100%. It's practically stopped. When it comes to yield effects, we see an average 40% yield increase compared to using untreated slurry. And we are producing on par with, with chemical fertilizer in most cases. Then, of course, there are other things than nitrogen that has effect on the crop, etc. But these are the effects that we have seen over time. We are continuing to do these kind of tests in new market that we are testing, etc. because we have to do this in all the markets where we are going. And cattle obviously are responsible for a huge amount of greenhouse gases and yeah. other issues such as land and water usage. It's not just the greenhouse mm. gases. How much of this problem are you able to address through your new solution? Uh, first of all, on the land use, I think we are able to maintain uh, the same kind of yield that you would get by using chemical fertilizer. So if you have a farmer that is not using chemical fertilizer today, you would produce the same output with a much lower area than today uh, without the use of fossil inputs. So I think that is certainly one part when it comes to uh, greenhouse gas emissions and methane in particular. Uh, the methane from a cow comes from the, the belching, of course, uh, but the significant part of the methane emission from a cow also comes from the manure. And that part we stop. So we don't do anything about the feed. There are other companies that are working with new kinds of feed to reduce the methane belching, but we are stopping the methane from the manure. And then the last one is related to nitrogen pollution because of the ammonia losses to air and water. Because we are stopping that as well, we are also maintaining or improving biodiversity and air pollution, which you basically get from ammonia emissions to air. And is this something, a technology that would be applicable to the smallest of farms right through to the biggest farms? Yeah, it's a big range of farm sizes. I think today, if you look at two hour pilot installations, one, it has a farmer that has 20 cows and another one on a farm that has more than 400 cows. So I think it is applicable to a range of sizes. And I think for very large farms, where we would have uh, several thousand cows, for example, it is typically uh, broken down into units, right? You don't have all the cows in the same shed, so you can do that by using several units. Then I think in the future, we will probably look at also having several sizes of this machine. Right now, we have started with one size, which has the capacity today of around two to 400 cows. Clearly, cows are the biggest producers of milk, but then we also have others such as sheep, goats, camels. Would this be applicable to other animals as well? Our technology works with liquid organic waste. So meaning that uh, right now we are focusing on the dairy sector and pig farming. It can also work alongside biogas to treat the biogas digestate, which has the same kind of issues. When it comes to sheep and goat and, and poultry, not the least, uh, that would have to be diluted in, in water or, or somehow made into a liquid substrate for us to treat it, uh, which is maybe doable over time, but it's not uh, what we are focusing on right now. 
Is this something that is already commercially available or are you still working on it becoming commercially available? So what we're doing right now is to take the learning from the pilot installations that we have uh, to get feedback from the farmers on the operational performance, etc. And we take that input to develop our first generation commercial unit that will be available next year. So that is what we are planning. You just had some more fundraising. What does that mean for the company? So the latest fundraising that we closed now right before summer will fund basically the market entry that we are planning next year in addition to continuously improve the technology. That is basically what the funds will be used for. And then we are planning a new round of fundraising sometime during next year. And where will it launch initially? Also, right now we are focusing on the UK market. We think it's a very interesting market. It's a lot of livestock farming and quite a lot of focus on not only the methane emissions, but also the ammonia emissions. And this technology tackles both. And then, then it's Scandinavia, which is our home market in a way. Then we also see quite a lot of interest from other places in the world, which is a bit you know, difficult for us to address at the moment. But I think in the longer term, we see interest from Russia and Mexico and US uh, all over the world, basically. But one step at a time. So we are focusing on Scandinavia and UK now in the short term. All right. Well, thank you very much for this. Is there anything else that you want to add? I think the way we look at this, there are a lot of discussions and initiatives to reduce or improve the footprint from livestock farming and maybe dairy in particular right now. And we see all these uh, the big global dairy companies are launching roadmaps with, with specific targets, both for 2030 and, and the net zero 2050. We see there is increased focus on the concept of regenerative farming. And we believe that the circular solution that we have, where we recycle the nutrients on the farm, fits very well into that way of thinking. If we're going to solve the problems in livestock farming, I think you both had to work on the front of the cow, as we say, and the back of the cow. So the front of the cow is related to kinds of, of feeds, etc., to reduce the methane belching. We believe the best solution for the back of the cow as we, as we basically stop the emission and the output of the process is a fertilizer that the farmer actually needs and, and wants. And I think that's what we see also now with the pilot installations is that this is a solution that is quite intuitive for the farmer. The farmer, of course, is concerned about getting as much produce as possible uh, within the land that he or she has without using too much uh, external input factors. And that's what we can do. And now it's to the interview about food waste. There are so many facts about food waste that it can be a little bit overwhelming. But here's just one. More than 930 million tons of food sold to households, retailers, restaurants and other food services are thrown away every year. And that's not even including food lost during production and distribution. The podcast is going out today on September the 29th, and that's the second International Day of Awareness of Food Loss and Waste. The European Food Information Council, or UFIC, is a consumer-oriented non-profit organization working to empower healthier and more sustainable diets and lifestyles. And the organization has launched a month-long social media action and awareness campaign providing citizens with information on how every simple action at home can make a positive contribution to the larger challenge. To tell us about food waste and some of the things that can be done is Dr. Nina McGrath, Senior Manager for Food and Health Science at the European Food Information Council. Okay, so I guess to start, I wonder if you could tell me what UFIC is? Okay, so um, UFIC is uh, what it stands for, the European Food Information Council. We're a consumer-oriented non-profit organization, and uh, we were founded to make the science behind food and health more accessible and easier to understand for the general public. 
So basically our mission is to produce science-based content to inspire and empower healthier and more sustainable diets and lifestyles among European citizens. And we also perform consumer research to better understand consumers' attitudes and behaviours towards food. The second International Day of Awareness of Food Loss and Waste is this week. Do you get any sense that there's been any positive progress over the past year? I mean, with respect to the International Day of Food Loss and Food Waste, uh, it's only in the second one, as you said. So to be honest there, it would be difficult to estimate whether the day itself has had any impact so far. The great thing is, though, that we're seeing this issue get more and more attention at a high level from organisations like the FAO, which is organising this International Day. I'm really hopeful that this will continue to raise awareness and bring this topic more and more to the forefront everywhere over the coming years. Speaking of being at the forefront, it seems that people at the moment, pandemic notwithstanding, plastic has been front and centre and then climate change and sustainability. Now we're talking about reduction of greenhouse gases. Where does food waste fit in with what the consumers are thinking currently? Yeah, there's a lot to have on your mind as a consumer, for sure, especially with respect to the environment. So I looked up some numbers and there was a recent survey by the European Consumers Organization called BEUC, B-E-U-C. They found that around two thirds of consumers are open to changing their eating habits for environmental reasons. And that includes different aspects. So being willing to buy more seasonal fruit and vegetables, eating more plant-based foods, but also reducing food waste. So there is an awareness already out there and a willingness to change. But two things that also highlighted as obstacles for people who would like to make these changes is, you know, a lack of information um, and also difficulty in identifying what is the most sustainable option when you're comparing different options. So those are two areas where UFIC operates in. So we really hope that providing reliable and science-based information can support people to make evidence-based decisions and changing behaviours. It's very difficult because everything really is a priority at the moment. I mean, how big a priority do you think that food waste should be? So, I mean, the fact that consumers already think that sustainability of their diets is important is is really positive news. And I think it's absolutely right that food waste should rank very highly. So if you look at the statistics, about a third of all food that's produced for human consumption ends up being lost or wasted, which is massive. And it has a massive environmental impact as well, because this goes to landfill and contributes to greenhouse gases. Also, when you think about food that you waste, it's not that intuitive. You might just think, okay, I'm throwing away a packet of spinach at home. But you don't necessarily remember that everything that goes into producing this food is also wasted. So all the land that was used to grow, all the people, resources, all the energy for transporting, for packaging. So it really represents a huge, huge sustainability issue and one that really needs to be urgently addressed. It's clearly a huge issue. What do you think are the biggest issues with food waste right now? Because we hear about, in terms of emissions, food waste being third globally behind China and the US. So if food waste was a country, that statistic is that it would be the third largest emitting country in the world in terms of greenhouse gases just behind China and the US. So this is one of the biggest issues, of course, with respect to climate change, this big CO2 impact that it has. 
The other thing is that if you look at it in terms of hunger and malnutrition and feeding the citizens of the world. So recently, uh, WWF and Tesco released a big report about farm stage food loss and how much is lost on the farm and uh, reported that it's really a neglected hotspot. So they estimate that 1.2 billion tonnes of food is wasted on farms each year. And if you look at this in terms of who it could feed, it's enough to feed the world's undernourished 870 million people four times over. So it really, I think, puts the scope of the issue into context, scary context. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned that it would be number three in terms of nationality. Are some countries doing better at this than others? And is there any coordination on this subject? So I think it's quite difficult to compare countries' performance today. There is some older data, for example, from 2010, comparing EU countries. But I'm not sure about the reliability, so I'm not going to name and shame countries here. The real key is that we need to be able to measure better to be able to measure progress of countries and regions. So it's been very difficult in the past to measure it in a standardized way, which means that data can be somewhat unreliable. And that's why it's hard to compare also between countries. But it's, in, you know, it's improving and focus is going into, into developing better methods for measuring food waste at all different stages. Um, in particular, something that the European Commission is working on as part of their farm to fork strategy. So their goal is by the end of 2023 to set up legally binding targets to reduce food waste across Europe. And that includes also supporting better monitoring of food waste EU wide so that we can actually tell if we're making progress and identify where it's going well. And clearly this is something that affects everybody and everybody can play their part, even though it's a different part. So how does each level of that work in terms of what can be done? So governments, the producers of the food, the food manufacturers, consumers, how can they all play a part? The key is that everyone does have a, a part to play because the problem happens in many different ways and the drivers are different along the different stages of the food supply chain. So really, all actors need to work together to make a multitude of changes. There are so many areas to improve on. You know, I couldn't possibly cover everything. So I thought I would just pick out a few um, suggested recommendations that have been made by uh, the EU platform on food losses and food waste. So they have a, a whole series of recommendations for each level of the food supply chain. So aside from general awareness raising of the problem, which is what the International Day of Food Loss and Food Waste is also aiming for, stakeholders like governments, industry and research are also being called upon to address and fill the data gaps about the quality, drivers and, and impacts of food waste, um, and also to improve design and monitoring and evaluation of food waste prevention interventions. So, you know, what actually works to reduce food waste and so on. Food manufacturers need to increase monitoring and reporting on food loss and waste so that we can identify where are the hotspots where the most waste is happening. Another really key area is that an estimated 10% of food waste in the EU is due to a misunderstanding about date labelling. So retailers are encouraged to improve their use of date marking to make it easier for consumers to understand how to react uh, with regards to different food products with use by or best before dates so they can avoid throwing away foods that actually are safe but where the date labeling is unclear or hard to understand and also to perform better consumer research so that they can tailor their discounts and promotions in a way that doesn't promote wastefulness 
Uh, and finally, people, individuals, can also take steps to help. Um, so a lot of food waste also happens at a household level. And things that have proved successful is uh, better planning of meals and shopping. Take a shopping list when you go shopping to make sure you actually get what you need uh, and not more. Learning about date labelling, learning about how to store food safely in the fridge or the freezer, asking for doggy bags when eating out, all these small things that people can do that add up to a big reduction in your own personal food waste. A lot of companies have already started to try and tackle food waste, but I wonder if innovation is important to tackling the issues because we've seen innovation that can extend shelf life. Is that an important factor? Yeah, absolutely. So there's loads of things that science or innovation can do to make a difference everywhere in our lives, and food waste is not an exception. So from valorizing food waste streams into valuable products, by using innovative food processing techniques is one example. Another example is that UFIC recently took part in an EU-funded project called Nanopack, which worked on developing antimicrobial active food packaging. So this was to slow down deterioration of food and make it last longer. And another kind of packaging that can be interesting is intelligent packaging. So these are packages that interact with the food and the environment, and they monitor the environment around the food or the freshness. So they can alert us, for example, when the food's about to go off. And the really smart ones can even measure the temperature under which the food is kept over time and calculate how many days left until it goes off. So, for example, if a fresh product is stored at a higher than recommended temperature, the date will display as sooner. But if it's kept colder, it might even last longer. And if we could know this through these sensors on food packaging, it means that we can then choose to save a product that might otherwise be thrown away. Yeah, I guess that's the key is having the customer be a part of that process and understand because if they can keep it longer, there's still that best buy or use by date on the package that leaves people a bit confused, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever smart solution is going to be devised for all these problems, it's really essential that it works at the end for the person who has to look at the date or sensor or whatever it is and, and make the final decision totally. And I guess farm losses is one of the biggest issues. Is there anything that can be done to mitigate farm losses? Yeah, so I had a look because UFIT doesn't work specifically in that area, but I did have a look um, at some of the results from the WWF and PESCO uh, report that I mentioned earlier, which is called Driven to Waste. And basically, there's two areas that can drive food loss. So some of them are human factors and others are more changeable factors in supply chains. So you know, weather and so on happens at the farm level. So the human factors are really where we can have a big effect. Um, and some of the actions that they urged include um, looking at current market structures and how to improve them, because at the moment farmers are quite separated from the end market. They could lead to a mismatch in production volumes, in planting and harvesting times, which all influence food waste in the end. So bringing farmers closer to, to the end market. Other things are that they recommend is increasing the focus on the importance of food waste by national governments as well. So by providing incentives for food waste initiatives and so on, and also better communication to the public. So to help empower citizens to take control of their own food choices, to understand the food supply chain and in a way that will support farmers to reduce food loss and waste. One of the other things that seems to be an issue at the moment, and as climate change affects the planet, we're starting to see more disasters, we're starting to see more issues. In the UK, we've got a lot of 
transport issues, which means that food isn't getting to the stores, potential food shortages. Is some of this solvable because food is going to be wasted if it can't get to consumers? Yeah, I mean, this question was is one that I don't think I necessarily have the expertise to weigh into fully because the national supply chain and so on is, is not something that I'm have all the details on. But I think that the COVID-19 pandemic and, and other issues have shown that the current way the food supply chain is set up can result in severe strain due to these sudden changes that we, we don't see coming, whether it's from nature or whatever, uh, political nature. That's definitely a place to work on to understand how these big shocks can affect the food system and the food supply chain to ensure that those risks are mitigated in the future. Looking at hopefully a brighter future, what is the new UFIX social media campaign about? So our campaign, which is going to kick off on September 29th, it's, you know, against this backdrop that we've been talking about, about these huge food waste figures and the urgency that we need to act against it. It's a one month long social media action and awareness campaign. So aiming to provide citizens with robust information on how simple actions at home can make a positive contribution to the larger challenge. So our tagline is a science-based hack-a-day keeps food away, a 30-day journey to reduce food waste at home. Um, and the information that we share in this campaign is based on recommendations from our consumer research team. So they advised on strategies that have proven successful in consumer studies that uh, support changes in people's food waste attitudes and behaviours. And we want to invite people to broaden their awareness of the impact of food waste and the scale of the problem, to learn new food management skills and also share practical and creative tips on improving their food waste habits. Uh, hopefully this will boost people's motivation and also give them a little bit more knowledge on what they can do at home to actively become part of the solution. What about after the month? What will you be doing in a in the longer term? In the longer term, as I mentioned, I think earlier, our core mission is to improve people's understanding of food and health science and empower them to have an active role and make a shift towards healthy and sustainable diets. So we'll continue with our core mission, which is also to produce and share content that's engaging and relevant and that can help people master these concepts to improve their lifestyle and also support them in learning critical thinking skills to understand information that they consume and all with the end goal of hopefully contributing to a change in behavior for both health and sustainability. So I'll just give you another couple of examples of work that we've done recently and that we hope to also revisit and build upon. So Apart from food waste, we also produce materials about um, food-based dietary guidelines or food pyramids that you see uh, issued by different countries and how people can uh, interpret this into their own daily lives. Or more recently, we also created a map of fruit and vegetables that shows the seasonality. So it allows people to easily check which fruit and vegetables are in season in their European country in any given month. So we hope that to continue creating these kinds of tools can support people in their own decision making to strive to get to a more healthy and sustainable lifestyle. And on that month-long program, do you have any of the tips to hand so that people can utilize? Yeah, absolutely. So although, as mentioned earlier, everyone, every stakeholder, every part of the food supply chain really needs to be part of the solution. So people alone can't do this, can't fix this problem by themselves, but we can contribute and help to improve. So 
things that have shown to work are that when people are more conscious of the impact of food waste and loss, they are readier to plan their weekly meals, to plan their grocery shopping. And these are things that can really help to avoid food waste. So organizing your fridge in a way that stops you from missing products that have a, a near use by date, keeping it at the front instead of at the back, knowing how to safely store and reuse leftovers, becoming confident in creating a recipe from some leftover pasta or you add something just to try and reduce the waste. And another piece of advice that we have in that campaign is to give a food waste diary a try. So this is a tool that, pe that asks people to reflect on their food waste behavior by thinking, you know, did I waste anything this week? How much and, and why? Did I go out for dinner unplanned and it meant that I wasted something in the fridge? And to just spend a moment thinking of that. And the aim is to bring awareness to the habits, our personal habits that tend to lead us to waste food because everyone's driver you know will be a little bit different and that should shed some light on how to avoid it also in future i know that where i live getting people to use their food recycling bin is very difficult but at least when you do that it gives you some kind of visual representation of how much food you are actually wasting in a week Absolutely. And that's kind of the theory behind the food waste diary as well, because when you really have to sit down and write, I wasted four bananas and one piece of steak and X, Y, Z, like you said, it makes it invisible, visible. And there's been also interventions in other countries, for example, in Korea, where they showed people their food waste. And this can really bring home what you're doing and make people more mindful and therefore more willing to, to take action because it's quite shocking to see it, I think. Are there any targets being set or what do you think are some realistic targets to improve on some of the numbers so that we can move food waste from third country to 190 or whatever? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, there are targets, ambitious targets. The UN has set the Sustainable Development Goal of halving the amount of food waste in the next 10 years or by 2030, so we're in a bit less than 10 years now. And the European Commission is uh, aligning themselves with that as well. So we really need ambitious initiatives, I think, to meet this, both local, regional and international level from retailers, from producers, from governments, from everyone. And hopefully with that, we will be able to start to turn the tide and get towards that ambitious goal. So there's so many places in the food supply chain where there's still a huge potential to fix this issue. So if everyone chooses to pay their attention to it, I think we can have a real impact. I mean, you've seen also how much you can get done in a short time when the focus of the world is on something like with the COVID vaccines and so on. So if we can pay attention to the food waste and try and solve it, you know, then I think that would definitely improve our chances. Now it's over to Ireland for the weekly look at the global dairy markets with Charlie Highland at StoneX. Hi Jim, uh, just a quick update on the dairy markets this week. In general, there's been a bullish tone in the markets as, as most products in, in Europe at least have been increasing over the last week. Looking at the fundamental picture to, to understand what could be justifying that, there's been a few news releases over the last week worth keeping an eye on are looking at um one of those was uh, milk production from the US for August that was positive it was up 1.1% so while that doesn't look like a major problem or a bullish signal it was way it was a good bit lower than expectations i mean we were forecasting milk collections to be up around 2.2% 
And, you know, what looks like what's caused the, the, the reduced number has been the fact that the herd uh, number has been cut substantially. Now, these numbers are with, from the USDA are subject to revision from time to time. So we will be watching that closely because it, it certainly is a, a, the milk collection in general is much lower than expected. In terms of milk collections, other parts of the world, EU is still looking weak on, on average. There is some, there was some signs of improvement in certain countries, but that seems to have stalled. And in general, there is a there is a lack of availability of uh, of spot products, especially fresh products in the market. We're seeing that with uh, the likes of cream prices increasing substantially as well. So there certainly seems to be a continuing concern that there has been a lack of milk, and it doesn't seem to be correcting itself in in Europe at the moment. New Zealand as well, the latest numbers there are quite negative, down 4.84% uh, compared to the previous year, although that was lapping over a pretty strong year. So in general, the milk collections uh, side of the equation is a little bit, um, well, it's, it's quite bullish at the moment. On the demand side, we did get some new statistics in from Chinese imports there last week, which were very strong, up 32%. Um, however, there is most of that that product would have been contracted earlier in the year. So there, there certainly is a lot of talk within China at the moment that they have slowed down dramatically in terms of their imports, and they're buying um, in uh, sorry they're buying should I say rather than imports in in recent uh, weeks and months, and that would make sense. I mean they bought quite aggressively at the start of the year and the in the first half of the year, so the fact that they're stepping back a little bit now, perhaps um, using up some of these additional stocks that they've purchased, uh, makes fundamental sense. But that's the one thing that's um, putting a bit of a, a bearish slant in the market, the fact that China has been buying less. But outside of China, the demand seems to be a, quite good and, and improving over the last uh, weeks and months. Now, that'll be interesting to watch if with prices moving up here, if that demand from the rest of the world is going to sustain at these levels. We have some question marks around that because I think some of the pricing is getting quite high. But in general, we have seen, you know, the physical prices, the quotations all increasing in the last week uh, in Europe and also the futures markets has been increasing as well. There's lots of things to keep an eye on here. I, I think the big question mark now becomes does demand uh, continue to, to be strong even with these higher prices and or will this result in, uh, in stimulation of uh, additional supply um, somewhere further down the line? So uh, difficult markets to follow uh, at the moment there's uh, lots of moving parts and, and we're continuing to monitor them thanks charlie we'll talk to you again next week StoneX provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services as well as otc hedging tool and m and a advisory services to the global dairy industry and that's it for another podcast I have interviews coming in thick and fast at the moment, in fact, three in one day, as I try to get ahead to account for time at Anuga, where hopefully I'll get some more material for the podcast and even some videos. But one thing I won't be doing much of while on the road is audio editing, so I'm trying to get ahead. It probably means more talking than usual, and hopefully my voice holds up. I'm not quite sure how I did three three three-hour gigs a week when I was in a band, but then again, I didn't do all of the singing. But drumming for three hours a night is pretty tiring too. What's worse is having to tear down after the show when all you want to do is rest. It was really great when we had three nights in the same venue when you could just leave everything set up, but I do miss those days in spite of the spinal tap nature of some of it. Or maybe because of some of it. So I'd better go and check out the calendar and hope I'm not missing an interview somewhere today. And I hope you'll tune in because we have plenty of interesting interviews coming up. 
I just said tune in. It's not like the old radio days when you actually had a dial. The podcast isn't on 8-track. Anyway, I hope you have a great week ahead wherever in the world you're listening from. And please stay safe, take care, and as always, thanks for listening.